Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scripture Chronicles, the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. This is episode one, so welcome to all you first-time listeners. My name is Dylan Meyerson, currently located in Bailey, Colorado, up in the mountains here. This has been a project that I've been looking to get into for a long while. I studied Bible, theology, and languages over at Multnomah University, and after having gotten my degree, I got very interested in the topic of biblical studies in general, but particularly as it applies to the church. Definitely love to see lay people picking up their Bibles and reading it and actually being able to get something out of it, actually being able to see what God is saying through the narrative. So I'm currently serving at a church called Platte Canyon Community Church, where I host a Bible study and do exactly that. I take people through the Bible as a unified story, and that is really my big emphasis. Now, joining me on this adventure is none other than the amazing Corey Howitz. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Corey. You're going to add in all those sound effects, right, for my big entry? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey guys, this is Corey here, and I'm joining Dylan from the island of Kauai in Hawaii. That's where I actually know Dylan from, and I also studied at Multnomah University. I spent four years there, and I studied pastoral ministries. was really influenced by a professor by the name of Ray Lubeck, who taught me just how to see the scriptures as a unified story. Him, his teachings, and his book, Read the Bible for a Change, has been really helpful. And so now I have this same desire, similar to what Dylan shared, is this sharing how accessible the scriptures are to anyone who desires to know God in a scripture. Dylan brought up this idea, is this on board to do this in podcast form, what I'm currently doing as a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor at Lihue Missionary Church on Kauai. I'm also leading a young adult Bible study for people my age with a good friend of mine. Uh, so I'm excited to just be doing this again, but now hopefully to a broader audience who can just check in from anywhere in the world. We want to teach the word just as it was given. That was Ray's example and challenge to his students, teach like Jesus. And so we're, we're going to try and teach like Jesus, which is A pretty huge and daunting task, but we're going to just be doing it prayerfully unto His glory. And we hope that we really are honoring to our Lord in this, and to Ray too, and just thanking Him for the ways in which He pointed us to Jesus in a little bit of different ways (laughs) for each of us. (laughs) Yeah, Ray, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but yeah, I definitely should have paid more attention in your class. Anyway, so moving along here with kind of the introduction theme, since this is the first episode in this podcast series, we're going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about who we are, what we're trying to accomplish here, and what the podcast is. So we'll start that out by going through our mission statement and our purpose statement. Now, these are just two simple paragraphs that, not even paragraphs, maybe a sentence really, that just kind of outline what we hope to accomplish with this podcast. If we can accomplish these two things, then I would consider consider us successful. So the mission statement, I'll just go ahead and read it straight up. It says that we are here to create a podcast dedicated to presenting the Bible as a unified story and to aid our audience in seeing the authorial meaning within the biblical narrative. Now, our purpose statement is we are here to build up believers in their understanding of the biblical story 
by orienting our audience towards a narrative approach to the scriptures. So I'll read that one more time just for emphasis. We're here to build up believers in their understanding of the biblical story by orienting our audience towards a narrative approach to the scriptures. Now, there is a whole bunch packed into both the mission statement and the purpose statement. We'll unpack a little bit of that right now. There is a ton in there as far as what we mean by that. But basically, to start out, the Bible is a book. Is that right, Corey? That is absolutely right. But we don't often treat it like that, right? I think today we're really used to seeing the Bible as like a proof text. It's really funny. The way we even introduce new believers to Christianity is usually through like a systematic theology. And we go through different doctrines and then give proof texts to say, well, this is what we believe and here's why which is kind of odd. Maybe we just all think that's really normal. And you might be asking, well, what, what, what's the problem with that? Just because we're so used to it. But the thing is, if you really think about it, we should really be asking, how did we get to that when God gave us a book? Like if we we're going to start a, a book club about the Lord of the Rings, we would probably read through the Lord of the Rings instead of talking about, well, guys, let's just go ahead and study together all the things we can learn about Mount Doom within Mordor. And if we're really nerdy, we might do that. Maybe there's some people out there who do that. If you're listening, I hope I'm not offending you. That's awesome and extremely nerdy. Way to go. But yeah, the Bible, for some reason, we treat extremely different. The thing that comes to my mind is we often treat it kind of like uh, a scientific textbook or Uh, A book of law or something like that where, you know, we open the Bible and we point and we go, what does God have to say for me today? Or like Corey alluded to, we do this thing where we start from doctrine and then use the Bible to prove the doctrine rather than just asking, what is the Bible trying to do? You know, and so it's a revolutionary concept to say that the Bible is a book in, in today's society, which is too bad. But basically, that is our starting point. We see the Bible as a unified, complete narrative, meaning that the Bible from cover to cover presents one single story that unfolds, just as Corey alluded to with the Lord of the Rings analogy, where you would be able to read, you know, let's say the Fellowship of the Ring cover to cover, and it makes sense. You know, you wouldn't start out in the middle of the Fellowship of the Ring and expect to know exactly what's going on. You wouldn't try to proof text about the ring or about Frodo without first having read the story and understanding the story. And then you can start moving to hypothesizing about what the ring represents or hypothesizing about uh, Frodo's journey, etc. I don't think we're just seeing this as a story. We, we believe that this is the way which God presented it and actually desires for it to be read in the VC. Yeah, exactly. Um, something that John Salehammer says, who is an amazing scholar who passed away not too long ago, but he he argues that studying scripture this way is actually a theology in itself. We usually think of scripture, all right, scripture just presented to us and now we make theologies out of scripture. If you think of truth, kind of like the food pyramid, where, you know, at the base is what you should eat the most. And at the top of the pyramid, you'll have things like the sugars and the sweets, which you need to have in your body, but not too much of. Like at the very base of that truth triangle, you have epistemology, like there is truth and that is found in God. 
And then a step up from that is, okay, well, how do you find his truth in his scripture, which is how to study scripture. And then from there, you move up rings, and at the top, you should get to systematic theology. Okay, after really knowing scripture, these are some things that we can all agree on, which is no doubt what many scholars throughout history have done. But now today, we want to cut corners and just get to, well, what did these guys affirm in throughout history? Like, okay, okay, now let's just build off of that instead of really wondering, well, how did they get that? through the story of scripture, where does that come from? And so we're hoping to lay this foundation of how to see the truth in scripture, how to come upon it. We see an approach to the Bible as a story, actually being able to read through the text and see how it relates to itself and then build a story as primary. After that, you can start doing things like understanding how the story actually connects and build what we call a biblical theology. And then from that point, you can then get into your systematic. So that's kind of how the food pyramid of theology works, as Corey was just explaining. Now, before we jump into the practicals here, I do want to point out a few other things that we want you to know about this podcast. And that is, so we do believe the Bible is a unified story. As I said, cover to cover, it should be read as a complete work that builds on itself. Moreover, the story of Scripture culminates in Christ. Ultimately, everything in Scripture from the beginning before Christ is looking ahead to Christ, and then everything after the cross is then building on what Christ has done. So ultimately, Christ is the culmination of the story. We also have a very defined understanding of how we draw meaning from the biblical text. Now, this is something that a lot of people have called into question, particularly within the past 50 years or so with the postmodern movement. A lot of people will approach texts in general and see them as relative, right? They will believe that ultimately the reader is in control of what the text has to say. We often hear the question, well, what does that mean to you? Or, uh, you know, that even extrapolates into life where people say that truth is relative, truth is relative to you. you know, and it all stems from this idea that texts don't contain inherent meaning. It's what you read into it. Now, we would not agree with that. We would go and say instead that meaning comes from the text. That means it is inherent within it because the author placed the meaning there. It was an act of consciousness that was placed into those words as they were put. Therefore, when we're reading the text, we're actually looking for the authorial intention in the text. Now that comes in two stages without getting too detailed here. There's obviously the human author, but then ultimately it is God who is the author of the text. So therefore, when we're reading the text, we're looking for the Hebrew author's meaning, but also God's meaning, most of all in the text that we do believe is inherently there. With that, now let's go ahead and get into those particulars that Corey's going to bring up. First step is seeing, right? Essentially, what do you see in the text? And that even gets into what type of literature are you dealing with? And so we're going to pay attention to the types of literature, which is only three in scripture, which is narrative, poetry, and discourse. And the Bible's mostly narrative, and so we'll be mostly going into that. And within the types, we'll see genres and forms, but we'll get into all that later. So what we see in scripture, 
It's the very first step. And then you get into understanding. And so you see the characters, the plot, the setting, and understanding would start to ask questions. For example, as you start the biblical story, you might ask the question when you see Adam and Eve in the garden, everything's created good. All of a sudden, there's a serpent in the garden. You should be asking, why is there a serpent in the garden that's deceiving them? That's a question that deals with understanding. We'll be bringing up some of those understanding questions as we go. So seeing, understanding, and the third step is sharing. And this isn't getting my findings and sharing them with other people, like just take it and preach, which is sadly what a lot of people do. Well, scripture is like, oh, that's a good point to preach. I'm just going to go and talk about it. And I think this step is probably the most overlooked step in studying scripture. This sharing step is to talk about a shared truth between the author of the text and his original audience and what shared truth is there to us today. For example, as Moses writes the Torah, the law, there are some practical applications just for the covenant people of ancient Israel who are at the base of Mount Sinai. But there are definitely shared truths from which we can glean from today. In fact, we see Paul do this in his letters. He takes a really weird command where Moses says, you're going to have an ox go and tread your fields and plow it. Let him eat the grain as he's going. Don't muzzle the ox as he treads. And he takes that and uses it as a shared truth for give to your pastors as they're doing a good work and sharing the gospel with you. And so that might seem like a huge jump, but that shared truth is something we see our other authors in Scripture do with other authors in Scripture. We see Scripture interpret Scripture and in giving us a key into how to do it ourselves. So sharing is the shared truth between the world of the text and to our world. So that's seeing, understanding, sharing. And the last step, super crucial, and I hope we all are familiar with this one already, is responding. As the book of James said, we're silly if we read scripture and walk away and change. It's like we look in a mirror and forget what we look like when we walk away from it. We should read scripture and it should cause change within us. And that change, we believe, is caused by God's spirit working in our lives through the text. We'll get into more of those. And if those sound confusing, you know, kind of like you're getting into a new board game, just play along with us and you'll really see these things start to play out and they'll become extremely helpful. And something that you will probably come to find is that Corey and I are both very interested in you learning by doing, meaning that we're not going to spend a whole lot of time hammering in the vocabulary per se, but instead you're going to see us doing this as we go through the podcast and then you will catch on and see how it's actually done. Now, that being said, before we move on from these four steps, so again, just to reiterate that seeing, understanding sharing and responding, something that I've noticed a lot, particularly within the past, I don't know, five, 10 years of evangelicalism is this idea that ultimately the main point of the Bible is what it means for you. Therefore, without seeing, without understanding, people like to jump straight to the shared truth idea. You know, what does this mean for me today? And oftentimes pastors in their sermons, they skip over the seeing and understanding steps. 
and jump straight to here's four actions that you can change today to be a better Christian, et cetera. You know, both Corey and I believe that it is incredibly important to place these four steps in the appropriate order, meaning that when you read the text, the first question you ask shouldn't be, okay, well, what is the saying to me? The first question you should ask is, what is the text actually saying? You know, identifying yeah. the text. And then second to that, you know, would be understanding and, okay, well, what is the text saying? And why is it saying that? You know, what does it mean in the context of the narrative world itself? And then finally, once you actually know what the text is saying and then understand why it's saying it within the narrative world itself, what is the author actually getting at and progressing the story? Then you can finally get to the point where you go, okay, well, I have an understanding of what the text is trying to say, why the author is doing it this way, and what the purpose is in regards to the narrative itself, the story itself. And then you can ask the question, okay, so what? And if you don't do it that way, Corey, you can probably speak to this too. I, I've seen so many people, you know, get to so many create. You can prove anything from the biblical text if you're determined enough, you know? Yes, you can. It's, <laughs> it can get pretty fun until you see that people actually do it and make cults from it. <laughs> so those are the four steps that we're going to be working off of as we actually go through the biblical text. So like I said, you'll be seeing us refer back to those, but more often than not, you'll probably just see us working in that order with regard to the systematic theology idea that we were talking about earlier. It's so easy to have a presupposition about what the Bible says and then try to prove it from the text rather than first starting with the text, asking why the author included that thing in the text, how it relates to the chapter, how it relates to the book, and then how it relates to the Bible as a whole. And then what is the author actually trying to get me to understand from this? We have in front of us a little grid here. And in this grid, we are comparing Genesis 1 through 3 with Revelation 20 through 22. Now bear with us here as we explain exactly what our intention here is in doing this. Now, if you've ever gone to high school and gone to a literature class and had your teacher say, hey, your book report's due on Friday, I guarantee at least 75% of you waited until Thursday night to write that book report, right? I know I did. Corey, was that you too? Absolutely. And so what did you do? The first thing you probably did was open up the book, and read the first page of the first chapter, and maybe the last page of the first chapter. Then you probably flipped over to the back, read the first page of the last chapter, and the last page of the last chapter, just to get an idea of what the book is about, right? And it makes sense because the first chapter sets out the premise of the book. It really tells you what this book is going to be about. Now, when you go to the last chapter, then it sums it up. It tells you, well, the first chapter said, this is what the book is about, and this is how we sum up what the book is about. So that's what we're doing here. Within the whole Bible, we have the intro laid out in Genesis, and we have the resolution, what's going to happen at the end of time, happen in the last few chapters of Revelation. The reason we're doing it this way, you know, we're not picking up Genesis and looking at Genesis 1 and then looking at the end of Genesis we really see the entire Bible that is cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, as a single unified story. And if that is the case, we would expect to find themes that are opened up in Genesis 
to be finalized or concluded or closed in Revelation. And so that is exactly what we're going to show you guys here with this rubric. Now, it does help to see this. And unfortunately, being an audio-based podcast, you will not be able to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and take this and throw it up on our Facebook page. You guys can go ahead and take a look at this for yourselves. But let's go ahead and talk through this. So on the left-hand side of the column, we have Genesis 1 through 3 and a bunch of verses from that. And then on the right-hand side, we have Revelation 20 through 22 and a bunch of verses from that. So, Corey, if you want to go ahead and talk us through those verses and kind of why they're important, how they relate to each other, and so what? We're going to go through this in order as they come up in Genesis. We're going to see John, the author of Revelation, matching up themes that the author of Genesis started out with. So we start in the very first line of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, and now if you turn to Revelation chapter 21, and the first verse of Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So even in the continuation of verse 1, it even gets into Genesis 1 verse 2, talking about the earth being without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you have heaven and earth being created for the first time and a new one, and earth being formless and void, that heaven and earth being passed away, that first one. And the Spirit of God is over the waters, and also that the sea was no more in Revelation. So those verses are being compared, and it's almost like John is just trying to write an antithesis to things that are happening in Genesis. And, and we'll continue to see that. Um, yeah, it's, it, that's real crazy in the respect that, I mean, not to get too off on the weeds here, but with what you said regarding Genesis 1, where it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the formless and void waters of the earth, and then the idea that the sea is no more, meaning that this image of the Hebrew tohu vavohu, or, or formless and void, is no longer there. It is now a new heaven and a new earth that doesn't contain the formless and void nature, but instead it's being made, you know, to be more perfect. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. And so these are important themes that start out in Genesis. And it's very clear in Revelation, but actually all these details are very important to the rest of Scripture. We see all of Scripture constantly pointing back to the first few chapters of Genesis, and they're creating theology out of Genesis. And so Revelation is not only picking up on Genesis and being really intentional with that, but also picking up on big themes throughout all of Scripture. But we'll just stay here in, in these two books. Um, let's go to the next verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And you go to Revelation chapter 21, and you look to verse 23, it says, And the city, this is talking about the new Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, 
and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It goes on, just the next verse down, saying, there will be no more night there. In that place where you say, let there be light, God's the light. And God called the darkness night. He goes on to say, there is no night. And that's even repeated down in Revelation 22, verse 5. He repeats that point where it says, and the night will be no more. There will be no need for light of lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be light, and they will reign forever and ever. So that's, again, mentioned in both Revelation 21, 23 through 25, and in Revelation 22, verse 5. So it's a pretty important point. At least John thinks so. We're going to go down to verse 16 of Genesis chapter 1. And that actually just goes right back into the verses we read in Revelation, where he says in Genesis here, verse 16, And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God sent them in the expanse. And so he there makes the sun and moon. And as we just read in Revelation, that there is no more need for the sun or moon. So in day one and in day four, we see tie into these verses in Revelation. Again, Revelation 21, 23, and uh, Revelation 22, verse 5. Okay, now let's go down. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10 now. We're going to see a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So the river and Eden are really important theologically to the rest of the Bible. What God says to that in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. We have the river flowing through the garden, the same river that's flowing out of the throne of God in the New Jerusalem in Revelation. And also we have that picture of the tree of life, where in Genesis 2, it says in the middle of the garden, where the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad. So that's another big point, right? Yeah, so that was just the prior verse to Genesis. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. So 2 verse 9 brings up the tree are the two trees that are in the midst or the middle of the garden, and then goes to the river flowing through Eden. Revelation essentially just flips that order. It talks about the river first, and then it goes into the tree of life. And now it's only the tree of life, no longer the tree that caused all the problems that the biblical story comes up with. To work back just one more verse in Genesis, Genesis 2 verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This goes back in Revelation to where we see this city built for similar reasons. John, in this heavenly scene, 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In that you have the comparison where Eden is made for people, where God puts people there. And in the New Jerusalem, we have this new city coming down where that's where people will dwell. And even in that, we have this mention of a bride adorned for her husband. 
And as we get on through this story of man and woman being created, we will have a bride made out of the rib of her husband. All right, so just, it's just so much imagery, back and forth and back and forth. Even little things, like in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11, it talks about the first river that splits from the big river. It says, the first river is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Favilla where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. And we think like, okay, it's, it's setting a setting for other stories in the Bible. But like, why is that? even important. Even in this Revelation story, we see that having a connection where in Revelation 21 verse 18, he says, the city was pure gold, like clear glass, right? So we have the gold being mentioned in both places. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 17, we see that the command for the people in this verse prior is that you may eat of any tree in the garden, Verse 17, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's met with Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, where it says, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow. Right. So the punishment that comes up in the very beginning, the resolution covers it. Like, don't worry, death is taken care of. The big conflict is resolved. That's a, that's a big one. And then if you go into Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that serpent that we mentioned before, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and we know the story, he goes on to deceive the woman. The serpent comes to deceive, and we know that the serpent is Satan. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we see that Satan disappears forever. He is thrown into the lake of fire. After he's let out of captivity for some time to deceive the nations. So it's, you know, Satan makes his first appearance to deceive mankind. You know, it's a pretty odd passage about him being put away and then he will break out again and deceive people and then be thrown into this lake of fire forever and ever. So the one who we can blame with bringing out all these problems is done for. And one of the big things we see with the Garden of Eden that is super important, we see it kind of come out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, where Adam responds in shame for the first time. And I'll just read it. It's chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So one, they're hiding themselves here. But we know that this is something that God must do pretty normally where Eden is this place where God walks with his people. And that's what people were created for, right? And so now in Revelation 21, verse 3, so remember 21, verse 2 is when John saw the new Jerusalem coming down. And this new Jerusalem is where the people are going to be set to be. In verse 3, chapter 21 of Revelation, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Just how it was in the beginning. And it goes on to say, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Just as the Garden of Eden was made as this beautiful paradise for God to walk with people. That's what the earth was made for. That's what people were made for, to walk with God. But 
sin and death got in the way. And we see Revelation making very clear resolutions to all those conflicts and to all those themes. They all tie in neatly from the light, from the characters, God and humans, from marriage being talked about with Adam and Eve to Jesus and his church. So all these things, it just is so intentional, the ways in which God is bringing these things together. Any thoughts, Dylan? Yeah, so to sum up here, since we went through that and it was a lot of information, so like I said at the beginning of this, we have the rubric that we're currently looking at with Genesis 1 through 3 on the left going down the column there, and then Revelation 20 through 22 on the right going down the column there. The purpose of this is to showcase the fact that the Bible is a complete narrative. Just as in your literature class in high school, you know, you scrambled, opened up the first chapter and the last chapter to see what the book was about. You wrote your report and you might not have gotten an absolute 100 percent, but you probably did okay. The same thing is true for the biblical text. It builds on itself as a cumulative, unified story. In Genesis, we have God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation, I saw new heavens and a new earth. Genesis, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Revelation, the glory of the Lord gives it light and its lamp is the lamb that is Christ. Genesis, the darkness he called night. Revelation, night will be no more. Genesis, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. Revelation, the river of the water of life flowing from the throne. Genesis, God made the two lights. Revelation, the city has no need of the sun or the moon. The greater light to govern the day in Genesis, the glory of God gives it light in Revelation. The Lord God planted a garden and he put man in it in Genesis. In Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, the new city where man is going to dwell with God. Genesis, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad. Revelation, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit was there. And so you just see consistently, you know, Genesis, the Satan appears as a deceiver of mankind. And in Revelation, the Satan disappears in the lake of fire forever. You know, it gives that sense of introducing the character and then culminating the story, finishing it off, giving it the finality. And then finally, in Genesis, God walked in the garden with man. And then in Revelation, once again, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's just a quick object lesson to kind of showcase the idea that we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, that the Bible, it's a book, but we don't treat it like one. So that's kind of an introduction to what we're going to be doing in this podcast. We're going to start out in Genesis, and then we're going to go all the way through. We're going to be, generally speaking, going over some big, broad themes, topics. We're going to be really emphasizing the method of study. We're going to be emphasizing things like the genres of scripture. You know, uh, is it written in a narrative way? Is it written as poetry? Uh, Is it written as discourse? Um, Then we'll be throwing out a few more detailed things here and there as we see fit. But by and large, our goal is to help you realize that scripture is meant to be read. 
most Christians struggle with this idea of reading scripture. You know, it's like a tedious sort of thing where they know it's a spiritual discipline, they know it's good, but then they're like, oh man, I actually have to do it. They get to Leviticus and they probably completely zone out. Uh, you know, it, it, the scriptures <laughs> are not just meant to be read, but they're a joy to read. This is divine revelation that was given to us by God, and it wasn't given to us in a scientific textbook way. It was given to us as a book with themes, with characters, with plots. And just as you would sit down and read your fictional uh, adventure novel, you can sit down and read the book and actually see a story unfold before your eyes and be blown away by it. If we can accomplish that, I would call this podcast successful. We come from such a culture where we want instant gratification and we want to be communicated to in a way that makes sense for us. But we have to change that logic and say, okay, God gave us a way to know him. So let me know him. Let me do my due diligence in learning about him through the ways in which he reveals himself. And like Dylan said, it is sweet. It is beautiful. I just think of Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119, 103 and 104, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. God's words are so sweet. Let us delight in them and enjoy them. Instead of trying to make them something they're not, wishing they were presented in a way that they're not, let's just be content with the way he's given it, accept it, and dive after that. And we will come to these same conclusions like, wow, God's word is sweet. And all of a sudden, as we really go through it and put in the work, it becomes less and less daunting and less and less confusing. All of a sudden, it starts making sense. And you'll start seeing these logical connectors throughout different books, these themes that stretch across, and you'll be so encouraged and just fall more in love with the God who gave us them. Yeah, don't have too much more to add to that. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Next week, we are going to be jumping into the biblical text itself and starting out in Genesis. We're going to be going over Genesis 1, the creation narrative, and seeing what God has for us in that. God bless you guys, and thanks for tuning in. 